0: Howdy folks, Tom Bartlett here. What you're about to hear is a conversation that I have just participated in, and unfortunately, in order to get the two participants on the call, uh, I had to allow them basically to echo my voice back. There was some issue associated with the technology that they were using, and unfortunately, we couldn't get them on the call without my voice echoing back. So particularly for long periods where I talk, you will get an echo. I'm yet to actually hear the audio, so I don't know how bad it is, but I just wanted to let folks know in advance that this is probably one of the most out-there bio lives that we've recorded to date. However, as folks have listened to numerous previous bio lives will know, I'm never too scared about pushing boundaries, and I think particularly discussing the ideas of a day job versus idealized development, as we concluded the call with, you'll get a sense that this is a somewhat abstract bias live, but I just wanted to warn you in advance. Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on TalkShoe March sixth, two thousand and ten. Live is a continuation of the Biota podcasts. For more information on the Biota podcasts, please go to biota. dot org slash podcast. Well, we received a lot of feedback following my uh, conversation a couple of weeks ago with Gerald DeYoung. Uh, the progress associated with the new site is a little bit slower than expected, but. Uh, that tends to be the way these things are. So the plan is to get a beta version of the site uh, up and running within the next couple of weeks, uh, all listing DNS hosting, etc. problems aside, and uh, probably release it uh, to a, a small group of beta testers, very similar, actually, to what Gerald's doing with Dolan at home currently. And then once the site has uh, gotten some beta test feedback, some user-based-created uh, feedback, then uh, the site will go live. So my original hope was that it would be live by, say, mid-March, which is, I guess, next week. However, I think it will probably be more likely that the site will go live in an early April kind of time frame. But what I will hope to do is use the Biota Conversations mailing list and this very podcast as a means of getting information out to the broader community about how the progress of the site is going and when it's uh, ready to go live. So if folks are interested in beta testing it, if they are either artificial life developers or expert artificial life users that want to give feedback with regards to the interface, these kind of things, please get in contact with me directly, tom at nobleape.com, com, and I will, uh, will endeavour to get you uh, an early login to the site with the view that we may actually change things quite, uh, quite dramatically through the early part of the process. We may change up the packages, we may change up the interface, a lot of things could possibly change, but uh, with the view that the last discussion with uh, the last discussion with Gerald is uh, probably the direction that the site is going to go in terms of it being a, a kind of entry point, a gateway, or as they used to say in the late nineties, a portal to the artificial life community. Well, before I get into um, today's bio live, I'd like to talk a little bit more about some of the uh, themes and topics that have been going through recent bio lives. And one that has been coming up kind of perennially is with regards to publications. Certainly Gerald and I talked about the uh, many Dick Gordon book projects associated with the origins of things, that is getting artificial life participation. But I would encourage folks in the community to start uh, thinking about and potentially getting chapters together for these kind of publications. The Artificial Life Announce mailing list is a good place to see when these uh, publications are uh, available to... uh, to take folks writing, and I'd encourage folks to uh, to participate. In some personal news, I was contacted by a high school student in Australia uh, saying that the high school class was using Noble Ape. And uh, Gerald and I and uh, a few other folks in the artificial life community have had periodic discussions associated with getting artificial life software uh, to be used in high schools, and I'm still to, trying to work out what the, the details are of how the... Uh, high school teacher, Mr. Roswell, actually stumbled across an overlay, but uh, I sent out a package to him and his students this morning of biota CDs. Yes, the the biota CDs of, I guess, probably about 18 months ago, I still have a few of them left over, put together a parcel of 40 and sent them off to Australia for Mr. Roswell's science class. So, as an artificial life developer, when you see these things occur, consider sending out... uh, Thank you packages uh, and getting a, another generation involved with the artificial life community. So we have our guest on the line. We were having some audio difficulties, but I'll uh, bring him in and I'll see how it's in. going. Who Hello. It? Hello.
1: Hi. How's it? No.
0: Uh, I'm still getting an echo on my end. Okay. Um. Ir- irrespective <laughs> of the echo. We can wait till the echo persists, but would you like to introduce yourself to the BIOTA community? Sure.
1: Um, I go by the handle S-E-H um, and uh, have a number of websites. Um, and uh, I came to talk about a software project that me and other people are developing. Um, first, I'd like to talk about... Um, the history of it, because it's based on some other projects. Um, Certainly. Um, that project is Critter which is created by a uh, person, um, Bob Winklesman, goes by the um, name Bob K., Bob Key. And uh, I started um, being interested in the program a few months ago and following the development. That's really like the main project family of programs, and it's uh, been forked into a variation called Critter Drug, and then uh, I created um, from scratch implementation called Critter God, which is um, based on the ideas in Critterding, so it's inspired by it. It There's a family of these programs all started by Critterding, which are 3D physics-based artificial life simulations. Critterding has a focus on evolution and evolving, um, but also has a focus on spiking neural networks, which um, they're, they're recurrent um, neural networks that map the critters. Physical world. Their, the physics engine model the critter bodies in relation to the world, so that when they motorize certain um, body parts, then be able to mobile and to manipulate objects in the world. ding also has um, retinas, which give the creatures sensory input. Through a grid of pixels that um, basically attach directly to the nervous system, the critters um, are evolved to eat food in the world. Because when a critter runs out of energy, dies. So the hope is that after enough generations of evolution, the critters that are evolved are going to be the ones that are mobile that can seek out food, eat it, and reproduce. Mutations are introduced between generations. So I hope um, that's a complete enough description. Um, I encouraged um, Bob to join the call. Um, I don't know if he's gonna be able to, but he is certainly the um, person who would be best um, talking about Twitterding. Urged encouraged uh, Eric, to or critter ding critter drug, which introduces um, food that contains neurotransmitters that affect the critter's ner- nervous system's synapse and neuron level. So um, there's different kinds of neurotransmitters in the food. hope is that the creatures would learn what the different food colors do to their nervous modulated modulate it whatever way they choose. I was really fascinated by um, the physics engine, the optics, nervous systems. I wanted to take it in some new directions, so I created Critter God. They're very similar approaches. God is more focused on procedural generation of bodies. more of like a laboratory environment where can be built and experimented upon rather than completely evolutionary based. This is something that um, any of these programs uh, could possibly sharing ideas back and forth. uh, Have you had a chance to see any of the source code for code, videos, website material for
0: uh, these programs? Certainly, certainly. And in terms of the three programs, how do you anticipate that the code will be re-merged back together? Do you anticipate that critterding will inherit aspects of God and Drug? Or do you think that they're going to be three diverging projects from now on?
1: Um, I really have no idea. Um, but what I can say is that Critter, De- Critter Ding is now um, an authentic Debian package that you can install. That's a definite plus in terms of getting these uh, on developers and also to developers, but um thing is very new. Uh, Crit- Critter Bud, the complete rewrite is very new and has development yet. New directions that uh, we think these programs, well, that I I think I, I can't speak for, um, I think may affect the computing landscape, the software available um, at the operating system level in the future. What I mean is that um, I see an opportunity for artificial life to operating system level, uh, the graphical user interface level of general computing on desktop and on the web, environment that transcends all of the application boundaries that conventional operating systems. But that's where I think it's ultimately headed is that um, these critters will just live as part of ordinary computer experience and be the embodiment of software processes and agents that do useful An ecosystem of uh, software functioning, and um, the, the physics environment provides a common uh, substrate or language that uh, modality of communication between all of these software processes doesn't currently exist in symbolic um, APIs that connection points between software-based environment um, room to move around and um, well, I mean, at this point it's still all research and we're just opening up the possibilities as much as we can.
0: My understanding is that Crititing comes from the legacy of programs like Polyworld, so it has some um, kind of, I don't know, legacy associated with the artificial life community. Uh, and certainly the creator of Crittiting was in, I think, a recent discussion with Larry Yeager or potentially someone else, but I remember he was in the chat and participated quite heavily through that. In terms of the kind of connection with previous artificial life development, obviously um, the neural network, um, the artificial intelligence, and the simulated environment aspect is very much part of Polyworld. I have talked to Eric Burton previously about the legacy of why not just start with Polyworld, what does crediting give you, and he talked a lot about the stability, which has also been my experience with Polyworld. Uh, But in terms of the ability to kind of fork out, develop a lot of code, and then fork back, is there any thoughts of giving contribution back to Larry Yeager or these kind of things in terms of kind of feedback loop into the artificial life community?
1: Um, I'm sure it would be possible. Um, I'm not familiar with Polyworld's um, software source code, so I don't know um, what could be transplanted back and forth. Uh, The models seem to be significantly different, Um, but as far as I know, critterding is the only artificial life um, environment that uses a complete 3D um, rigid body kinematics physics engine called the Bullet physics engine. Uh, it's used in a number of um, commercial games and even in movie production.
0: Certainly, uh, Are you familiar, however, with programs like programs Brevet or Framsticks, or,
1: Framsticks or Framsticks that also, also use? Yes, used? yes, actually, that's. Framsticks um, is uh, very similar. I'm not, sure what engine it uses, it may in fact use um, an equivalent kind of engine as Bullet. So if you can list uh, any others...
0: That Rufay would be Rufay the Rufay other Rufay one that I would, Rufay Rufay of, Rufay yeah. I would think of, which um, is inspiredland.org, S-P-I-D-E-R-L-A-N-D.org. S-P-I-D-E-R-L-A-N-D.org. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, there's also one called AI Planet, certainly, um, certainly. which um, uh, is um, a three-dimensional... Worlds uh, with um, I'm not sure if it's physics capabilities either. Um, Another, um, it's it's the actual uh, critter bodies are modeled physically. So there's um, also their um, their body positions are feedback into their nervous systems. And I believe that uh, they're, when they contact materials, that's also like a touch feedback into the nervous system. So they could potentially um, feel when they're walking and uh, what they need to do in order to um, move.
0: But that isn't unique in artificial life simulations. I mean, you've mentioned framsticks. There are elements like that, although there isn't a description of physical embodiment in Noble 8, for example. Um, Similarly, the stuff that Gerald de Jung has done. Uh, My interest is that... The artificial life community, community, as we've approached it so far, uh, has an element of the the, uh, kind of uh, uh, futurist uh, psychedelic psychedelic uh, psychedelic community, these kind of communities as part of that. And certainly with your own work, particularly your stuff on YouTube, a lot of it moves into that kind of cyberpunk Terrence McKenna kind of area. In terms of the movement of critting into that, was critiquing part of that? I understand the kind of IRC chat background, but what what drew you to critterding particularly uh, versus one of these other packages?
1: Oh, um uh, good question. I'm still not sure why. Uh Critterding all, all the features, the retina, the Bull Physics engine which I had um previous experience working with, um it being open source, uh and relatively um, straightforward source code um, it was unencumbered by um, accumulated development and uh, it seemed like a fresh project. And uh, yeah, um, Another point I'd like to make is that um, there really is no difference between these artificial life simulations and the field of uh, robotics simulations. So anytime that um, a robotics simulator product um, could be retrofitted to do this evolutionary or um, to put neural networks into them. So uh, it, the field of physics um, uh, life simulations is a lot broader than the names applied to these categories.
0: In terms of the kind of cultural aspect, though, I mean, we've we've had a variety of folk, including Eric, participate in Biotalive to date. I think you're the first anonymous person that we've had on Live. What is the need for anonymity as you develop these kind of programs? Um,
1: there isn't a need that I'm aware of. Um, it's just the uh, particular technology I'm using to make this call. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, so Eric has done this in the past as well and still appears as Eric Burton. As people contact you, do you want to give some background without describing yourself specifically in terms of your own background? You've mentioned robotics, you've mentioned programming. What, what are your background interests that brought you to special Life? Um, uh,
1: I'm not exactly sure, um, but um, I can offer this. When I look at a computer desktop and I see the icons and the applications and everything, it um, to me resembles a living system. The evolution of software through its versions, iterations of development resembles um, biological evolution. And um, uh, it, it's just fascinating to me the, um, the possibility of complex virtual worlds that can behave in surprising ways and that might also someday do something useful to, um, to also um, I'm interested in artificial intelligence and uh, I'm trying to explore um, what's the difference between the fields of artificial intelligence and artificial life and it just seems like they, they're approaching the same uh, goal. So any, any um, achievement in artificial life research is going to benefit AI and vice versa.
0: I don't think that's a controversial statement on something like biota, but maybe with with, with academic groups, that might be slightly controversial, certainly. If we had Steve Grand on, he may have something to say to that specifically. The, uh, The stuff that interested me with your work on YouTube was, as you have discussed, the whole linking of artificial life to the idea of an operating system. Can you expand more about how you see an artificial life operating system and obviously... I mean, if folks go to your YouTube channel, they'll get the visuals associated with this. But can you project ten years in the future in in you know an ideal world for you? What would an operating system look like, and what would its artificial life core be?
1: Oh, sure, that's a great question. Um, um, well, generally, I think the um. The, the paradigm of applications is going to dissolve as applications become more diverse we're going to start um, the namespace of uh, products and applications and everything is going to become so blurry and interchangeable that um, it's just going to I can see it dissolving and all of the um, the, the names attached to them becoming irrelevant. So what this ultimately means, my uh, vision of future um, computer interfaces, is that any um, thought that arises in your mind, you will be able to externalize into a virtual world directly. And then uh, the computer will become a tool for rearranging, um, remembering, and communicating these um, digitized thoughts. Well, uh, an artificial life uh, creature is... Some kind of um, system that is autonomous and uh, reactive to its environment. Uh, So, thoughts will have the potential to become autonomous agencies in um, your computer systems. And uh, so, what this would ultimately look like is um, uh, empty worlds that become populated with thought that affects them. The web pages might become like web cells, cells in the biological sense of being um, beyond two dimensions, um, beyond any dimensions, really, when you get into semantic um, graph-based representations of of data. uh, And then varying layers which these raw data are projected into uh, virtual embodiment of them uh, so this my best guess if um computers can evolve in that direction
0: and in terms of the core, I mean, is this an evolution from Linux fundamentally? is there a new operating system core that has to be solely artificial life based? How do you see that
1: Oh um well. Let's take for example um Critterding um, it's a C plus C++ um program it's been ported to Linux, Windows Macintosh. Um, all that one would need to do is um replace the existing window manager layer of an operating system like Linux and put Critterding as the full screen startup program. And then um Hopefully, a system like CritterDing or CritterGod could become complex enough to serve any need that a computer user would have inside of itself. Um, but the advantage of um, leveraging an existing operating system like Linux is the vast array of existing libraries that you can use to connect to older computer systems that are um, during a transition. But ultimately, I think um, it, computing will become a peer to peer, boundaryless uh, space that um, autonomous software runs. And,
0: Larry Yeager and Eric Burton had a long conversation on a previous live that netted quite a bit of cross-development. I think Larry helped out a little bit with the Mac version of Crititing, and certainly Eric helped out with the various Linux aspects of Polyworld. Has the Crititing community reached out to Larry in particular in terms of his ability as an academic and also a long-standing kind of intellectual in the, the field to champion these kind of ideas?
1: Um, I'm not sure, but I do recall Eric mentioning um, Larry Yeager uh, several times. But I would hope he has done that.
0: My understanding from correspondence is that he did reach out to Larry. And I think a lot of what you're talking about, Larry worked at Apple for 16 years in the kind of abstract um, aspects of Apple that never actually make it to the operating system, but was very much part of the research and development of of Apple. I mean, what interests me with what you're describing is that there is this kind of an existing movement within the artificial life community around these kind of ideas, but As the crediting community moves in its own particular direction, the the reaching back to this um, seems to be, I don't know whether it's important or communicated within the community. I think Eric certainly uh, can see the benefits of folks like Larry Yeager getting involved. In terms of your own interest, I mean, intellectually, where do you see this movement coming from? Is this William Gibson? Is this Terrence McKenna? Do you, have you gone back and read other artificial life practitioners? Where, where are the kind of founding fathers as you see them within this movement? Oh, Definitely
1: science fiction. Definitely thinkers um, um, in, in science. Um, virtual reality. Uh, William Gibson, definitely. Uh, and um, Another another one that this uh, reminds me of is um, Bruce Sterling's concept of a blob object or a, a spime, where um, objects in the real world will have um, virtual uh, shadows. So that, that every object that we encounter in the physical world will have its representation in a a virtual world internet where things are linked.
0: Yeah, again, your audio is, is dropping off. But anyway, um, when I first uh, found your YouTube channel, it immediately uh, resounded with me in terms of artificial life art developer, the layering of code editing, feedback, debugging, these kind of things. Also, the, the visual element was very akin to the kind of late 80s uh, William Gibson visual aesthetic um, a number of folks number that of Bruce Damer has worked with in the past, you mentioned Bruce Sterling, who obviously has been a previous participant in the BIOTA community. When you created the YouTube channel, did you intend it to be a, a beacon to like-minded folk, or really was it a means of you just kind of self-reflectively documenting what you were doing?
1: Oh, um, uh, it's, um, it serves several functions. One of them is to provide a development log, Um, it's also to advertise different open source projects for potential commercial applications. Um, On that channel there is also um, some Java-based software and um, it should be um, it should eventually be separated into several playlists that um, organize it because right now it's all mixed up. um, And then uh, there's several people working in this channel producing these videos, and we received um, early suggestions um, to always uh, use background music so that these videos were at the very least entertaining but um recently, uh, we found out that uh, YouTube is going to be um, text or uh, speech recognizing all the videos so it might be um, better to give proper voiceovers in the videos explaining what's going on so that they're more searchable.
0: I'm not sure if you've oh, sure. seen that technology yet. I tried it with a couple of videos yesterday, <laughs> and the <laughs> text just. Uh, well, sorry, the speech-to-text technology is still particularly poor. I think they're offering closed captioning, so if you were intending on doing that, it may be worth getting a a transcription of it and actually creating the hard-coded transcription rather than using the text, sorry, the speech-to-text that YouTube is offering. So, you have a number of people that are participating in the YouTube channel currently, is there any way to distinguish you all from the videos?
1: Um, no, um, it's all mixed together.
0: Can you anticipate anticipate things like, as I've been doing with Biota Live, perhaps an interview series or something like that, so the various participants can kind of announce themselves and we can at least get familiar with with your voices?
1: Oh, sure. Um, let's definitely investigate that. But for now, um, uh, uh, we haven't set that up.
0: So in terms of numbers, how many how many of you are there, and would Eric Burton be one of them? Because when I mentioned your YouTube channel a couple of weeks ago, he hadn't heard of it.
1: Oh, um, no, I've never I've never met Eric or um, Bob in real life. I've only spoken to Eric by um, Skype several times, um, and then there's a number of people um, were uh, present. Um just somebody else that wants to say hi.
2: How are we doing? Um my name is Sean Cootie. Uh I am I would consider myself a content contributor to the Auto Mena channel to a certain degree, not with the Critter God project so much, but the uh AceNet projects of uh the videos that were posted about last year maybe, just summertime, springtime. Um personally produced those videos, and my involvement in the code production with the, the, that space Net environment wasn't so much as a code contributor, but more of a content advisor, given my studies in industrial design. Um, I'm just saying hello. Uh, my particular uh, website is thelethaldose.com. Uh, other than that, I'm just uh, glad to be here.
0: I think you've, I think participated, you've participated either... Your, your website sounds very familiar. Yeah. Um, have, um, you have you participated with KMO or any of those folks?
2: I folk? honestly can't say that I have. Right. right. Of the Sea Realm podcast?
0: Yes. Yeah, this is. Anyway, anyway, your website sounds website familiar sounds to me. Really I'm sure Lorenzo really, uh, Haggerty... Psychedelic salon, perhaps.
1: Yes, I'm a fan of that one too.
0: Right. So this is part of the broader community of which Bruce Bruce Damer has been a, a part of, and I'm kind of tag along because they make references to me, and I've appeared on the Serum as well. In terms of moving this movement, which is currently a kind of combination of anonymous folk and non-anonymous folk into something that could be a business, I mean, is this the ultimate aim associated with all of this, in terms of creating a real operating system, or what do you see with this? Um,
1: Yes, um, commercial opportunities um, are part of the aim, Uh, being uh, pure research is also part of it, just fun and experimentation. Uh, So it's quite open-ended. CritterGuard God is is one of several different
2: projects, not all of them um, a life-oriented. In the business aspect, uh, my vision uh, particularly would be uh, massive systems visualization with live interactive agents controlling such things as even an oil refinery, simply have a screen, you have um, a 3D world simulating all the pipelines, junctions, you know, retorts, um, fractional distilleries. And with these um, agents, they would simply control and monitor and uh, basically replace humans um, as we are seeing every day, pervasively, even in the grocery store. Just uh, last month, they removed uh, six checkout lines and replaced them with computers. So It's a natural evolution, in my opinion.
0: Certainly. But in terms of moving it from this kind of William Gibson-esque, anonymous, anonymous, you know, various call-in methods, methods, these kind of things, things. moving into an actual business, what do you see as that occurring? How does that come together?
1: Well, um, the specific technologies we're using are 3D engines, physics engines, and... um, 3D graphics, particularly OpenGL accelerated graphics, um, can be used to make um, a new kind of uh, user interface, um, zooming user interfaces, which can embed content content fractally inside and outside to any uh, scale. Back to the um, simulation, like the 3D oil oil refinery or to to critagod or Critterding, what is uh, possible is to have the user interface grow out of the world that it controls, to to grow or emerge in um, practically embedded planes or spaces attached to virtual objects that they manipulate. This would mean something like uh, zooming into a critter and seeing its neural network inside of it when you make it translucent, or it could mean that um, yeah what do you what do you think um, about making uh, a fractal interface
0: So my experience of these kind of interfaces, and it's interesting that you mentioned the oil industry. In 1999, I left Australia and I started traveling the world going to virtual reality centers. And one of the virtual reality centers I saw early on was, I think, in Dallas, Texas. And it was, um, I want to get the name right, I think it was Alco, the oil um, uh, company that was doing the VR environments. These are 3D caves where you put on shutter glasses and you are literally... Well, you're surrounded in a kind of 15-foot-by-15-foot-by-15-foot visualization cave cave. where you Mm -hmm. have haptic sensors on your hands and you can kind of move data around. You can cut through landforms, and as you say, you can fractally zoom. This is 1999 technology, uh, so I guess it's OpenGL through um, silicon graphics machine. So I've seen this technology in the wild more than 10 years ago. The thing that struck me, which I've also talked to Bruce Damer about with regards to NASA, is that none of this technology was open source, so it very quickly went through obsolescence cycles. I can only imagine now... Well, the the technology that I've continued to follow is with NASA... And the stuff that Bruce is doing currently, they were doing 11, 12 years ago, similarly, but all with closed source systems. So my question to you is not that I don't understand or believe or see the fractal technology being used in these kind of environments, because I've I've had personal experience entering those environments and seeing it. My question is how a group of some anonymous, some not anonymous IRC chatroom folk currently developing these tool sets can go and approach an oil company, a drilling company, what have you, when they... I mean, there needs to be a movement from kind of hacker culture, mythology, this kind of stuff into a very straight-laced conservative business environment. And I'm interested in seeing how you translate that.
1: Well, absolutely. Um, I thought about this subject, um, and my conclusion is that um, all that's necessary is to uh, wrap the development inside a corporate facade, basically. Um, to, to provide um, an open source business model case to provide managed services uh, based on the technology being developed, and it it really um, blurs the line between uh, hackers playing and um, economies of scale. And it can't I, I believe um, anything is possible at this stage, though. Um, all experimentation, and we're just widening the field. Recently, um, I received a comment on one of my videos uh, thanking me for um, triggering something in, the, in their mind, solving like a user interface problem that they'd been dealing with. So I recognize the value in these videos being um, idea generators, and um, they're challenging or providing new perspectives on um, programming, software development,
2: um, all of that. And re- regarding um, the business model of open source technology, if, uh, if we were to take a quick look at um, everywhere.com, dot com, and you read, um, I would say, how, how would you refer to that, Seth? That's... Um, Well, uh,
1: explaining that um, the value of open source software as opposed to a closed source model. uh, Simply that
2: technology is meant to work with us and not for us, and uh, the fact that money is a uh, factor is relative, would be a factor and should be a factor um, in our opinion is hidden uh, and should be antiquated. There's uh, too much high quality work from highly experienced um, engineers and programmers who aren't concerned about monetary compensation when they're simply bettering the world.
0: In terms of your own experience with regards to open source development, have you worked on programs for this experience?
2: Is that directed to myself or to uh, Seth? Uh,
0: with regards to, uh, yourself, to yourself, and then we can talk to Seth.
2: My uh, experience with open source technology is uh, is fairly uh, limited to my involvement with Everywhere metasystems, Systems. But um, you know, personally, I've used Linux for you know, many, many years of my life, and uh, I've understood wholeheartedly that it's um, one of the great benefits to all humankind on a global scale from uh, you know third world countries to small businesses
0: and certainly I mean I think that's that's an interesting discussion point in my movements with technology development, you're familiar with Vi and Emacs. they're the two text editors that used in Linux used in Linux. Uh-huh. So I've met primary developers of both those text editors, and there's a big narrative associated with people who, you know, floated OSI and all these kind of things. The the commercial Linux folk. That when Linux uh, became a commercial entity and was listed on, you know, with various companies on the Nasdaq and what have you, that they made sure that they sent remuneration shares, these kind of things, to people that had been primary developers associated with Linux. What
2: equity, right? Uh, pun. Would you say it's wet equity? Well, that's the theory. theory. But here's here's the point. point.
0: Having met these people, these people that developed two of the fundamental text editors associated with Linux, they never saw anything. So, the problem with regards to the visionary um, discussion narrative associated with how these methods for remunerating these amazing intellectuals actually occurs, it never seems to occur in reality. I think what interests me with regards to the artificial life community because we 've had a number of participants that are also long term open source developers is that we're all trying to understand how we got in this situation. I mean, certainly having done Bias Live for the past four and a half, five years, years. Putting out information even of a particular quality doesn't change any aspect of your life aside from the sense that you have a lot of friendly hobbyist friends <laughs> that exist all over the world. It's not an economic or a social movement. The way that you create commercial engines out of these things are, are never the cliched narratives associated with things like open source. They require real visionary insight, otherwise we would all be you know, living on our respective islands that we've purchased with all the amazing effort that we've put in. So my feedback to you would be create a new vision which will be commercializable associated with this technology. And you cannot use previous, uh, well, what's certainly said in public associated with how to monetize open source because it has dismally failed with regards to a vast majority of the intellectual, the capacity, intellectual capacity, capacity that has, capacity has been put
2: into been open put source into development. development well that's a very uh, appreciable point. I think uh it all comes down to turning your avocation into your vocation and vice versa um, the or not how do i put it the um the reward associated with giving a gift isn't the recognition or the compensation for giving a gift. It's the uh, personal enrichment and, you know, downright emotional um, feeling of contribution that is, you know, the remuneration in and of itself, I guess. Do you agree, Seth? Yeah.
0: So, Seth, so in terms of your background, whilst you want to remain anonymous, what kind of open source projects have you worked with previously? Previously.
1: Well, there. Um oh, um. Well, okay. Critterding. Uh, recently, um. Before even starting Crittergod, um, I had been developing a Java software um, under the name SpaceNet. Some of the videos are on the Automata YouTube channel. Um, when I became involved with Critterding, uh, then. I don't know if any of my code is in critterding projects, uh, but um, there's um, I'm also interested in the OpenCog projects, and also in the DAN project, which is D-A-N-N, um, OpenCog and DAN, are both in the artificial intelligence spectrum things, so. Primarily, most of my open source work is in my own
0: projects. So, the, the the paradigm associated with people coming to artificial life not seeing projects that, that spark their interest in creating their own is very good. But in terms of the idea of coming in and branching a project, and there seem to be three branches currently of critting, including critting. can you see the potential for your work in critted pods and Eric Burton's work in Critter Drug, remerging. Is the potential in the future for those two projects to come together?
1: Yeah, I um, I think it's sometimes dangerous for a project to be forked, like um, like these projects, but since um, I but I do still still see a potential for for them to, or at least the the next major revision of Critterding. To reincorporate all of the new ideas from Critter Drug and Critter God into that, and if um, I mean we could start on that today, uh, but maybe the best opportunity for that is when the developers of Critterding are um, considering a complete architectural overhaul of the source code. So I'm looking forward to having all of these features. In the same piece of software, it's not very helpful to have it distributed this
0: way. And in terms of in additional, additional feedback, feedback, I mean, as I've noted, a majority of the folks noted. that have appeared on BiotLive, Live, yeah. including myself, Larry Yeager, Gerald De Young. Not so much Jeffrey Ventrella around moving his stuff in, a lot of Bruce Damer's work. All these existing projects are already open source. What interests me with regards to crediting specifically and the description that you gave associated with why branching it currently was advantageous for you, related to the newness of the project, but also through the feedback that Eric Burton has given and you've sort of talked to, also, a currency with regards to uh, an internet community. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's IRC chat, what aspects associated with that. Can you talk a little bit about that part of the accrediting community that you found appealing?
1: Sure. Um, IRC is a very um, useful tool for communicating, um, it's um, very uh, high frequency. Relative to like an email list or an, a web forum, um, the, the people participating in a channel have a sort of presence and um, patterns of when they're online. And, uh, it, it certainly affects the course of development to have this um, open channel between developers of a project. It's basically equivalent to instant messaging, um, but uh, IRC um, can support many users in a channel and also bots and um, channel topics, operators, and all of that. They seem necessary to the functioning of a channel.
0: Certainly, but they haven't been the kind of collective legacy of artificial life development up until this point, although open source has been part of that. So in terms of existing open source projects, I mean, things like Polyworld, these kind of projects is it just a matter of creating IRC channels or was it the um, present connection that you had with the creator of critting that also added to this kind of lazing effect?
1: Yeah. Um, it, it certainly started through the IRC channel. Um, numerous discussions about um, the future directions that critting might evolve into the... Um, uh, questions about how it works um, for understanding like for example the neural network code called brains um, fascinating neural network model that Bob developed um, and the, the physics engine and just um, after learning about how all of these pieces worked, uh, it just became even more interesting.
0: So that's the idea of the IRC channel almost like a lecture tutorial series.
1: Oh, it can definitely be used that way.
0: So do you feel, for example, what we're doing with podcasts currently is a little bit naive and behind versus, say, IRC?
1: Um, Yes and no. Um, there the are different modalities. Um, ideally, in, I would like to be utilizing all of these sensory modalities simultaneously to communicate with other developers. I'd like to be typing, talking, maybe even camera, drawing, and everything. I would like this all to be part of the integrated development environment. I think they're moving towards that direction. Um, and the next step beyond that is to actually have discussions around a certain piece of code. So that The topic of a discussion and the, the development of the code are one and the same. I think that there's going to be, I think it's called a homo-iconicity, where the actual components of a program are reified as um, objects in a programming space. Um, that's, that's a pretty far vision. Um, I hope development, um, development uh, techniques like that will be available. And if they are, somebody please let me know. But it it is important for um, concretized um, conversations to be recorded like this, um, especially if they can be filtered to um, minimize the amount of time wasted by the audience. So, for example, in this conversation, uh, all of the pauses and everything um, would save listeners time.
0: Certainly. Certainly. Um, I mean, my audio quality has been greatly degraded in order to have this conversation, so I will have yeah, to apologize for that, that as well. As
1: well. But um, So, uh, so I, I see a blending of all these um, communication modalities being available instantaneously, on demand, without any difficulty, like... Um, not having to go into a web browser, which is separate from my uh, NetBeans development environment, in order to make this call. But I mean, um, can we talk a little bit more
0: about this idea of immediate presence? Because I mean, that seems to be a recurring theme in what you're saying, particularly with regards to the IRC discussion. The benefit that I found with regards to recording these podcasts, and they're not an immediate presence as you describe, but they're something that are done periodically. That, as you've noted, I have to then filter in terms of maximising the, you know, the listener's time. These kind of things. This is time-consuming for me. But in addition to this, both I and the other participants that come to these calls can't be. Uh, universally present at all times. I mean, the nature of my, you know, nine, whatever, seven to five-thirty working life, which doesn't in any way communicate into the biotic community, but exists in parallel so I can survive and produce these podcasts eliminates my ability to participate in a wide variety of things, both physical things like conferences, but also things like Dick Gordon's embryogenesis class in Second Life. Similarly, maintaining an IRC chat, it would be impossible for me in my current life to spend any real amount of time in IRC chat. So what interests me with regards to this movement is that the immediate presence associated with these things may not necessarily communicate to maybe a majority, maybe a minority of the listeners to this podcast currently. How do you see the kind of resolution of, firstly, as you describe open source developers, all of them have to have these, will typically have to have these kind of work environment jobs which won't allow them to participate for extended periods of time in an IRC chat. But similarly, the historical legacy of the artificial life community, even those who are in open source development will not be able to participate in these kind of immediate chats. How do you see us translating what we have in terms of a wealth of knowledge into something which is accessible to people such as yourself?
1: Okay, that is a um, concern. Um, Consider um, if all of the media that we're generating, either by talking in this way or by typing lines into IRC or by email... Um, just, uh, reduce it down to um, individual messages of multimedia, whether they contain text, images, video, audio. Well, um, These created uh, multimedia objects are created at a specific time. They, um, they may be followed by somebody else's message um, at a time interval later. Um, some of these objects are going to have uh, a longer lifespan especially the ones that are uh, collected into like longer time
0: spans like if, if, if a, I can, interrupt, you know, though, can you interrupt though what you've what described you know, is it's the immediacy of initial response it's the ability to form an instant community it's the ability to have these kind of lectures and tutorials in order to instruct you about how crititing worked that was primarily your initial introduction into this, but also something that has maintained you. And that is very different than the kind of temporality, the periodic nature of things like podcasts. It's an immediate response that you sought initially. Right.
1: It's a tighter feedback loop between minds.
0: So, for someone who is looking to start an artificial life project, you're recommending that there needs to be some kind of immediacy to bring in people such as yourself, and to a certain extent, people like Eric Burton as well, through these kind of mechanisms?
1: Um, no, not necessarily. Um, I, I don't know what's necessary or what's helpful, um, but in, in our case, IRC is... Uh, Primary method of communication.
0: Do you foresee yourself personally being in a situation in the future through things like employment or other circumstances where the immediacy of things like IRC will not be there?
1: IRC itself, um, maybe, maybe not, but um, certain situations. Uh, much faster to have an immediate reaction. Developers, um, development rather than, um, I really don't know.
2: If you're trying to, uh, bring into the conversation the differences between a professional development environment and, I guess you could say, an open source development environment, where you have people sharing office spaces, face-to-face, and, uh, as opposed to, you know, developers distributed around the world using the most arcane form of Internet communication, I would say, well, I can't speak for Seth, you know, in particularly, but I'm trying to get a grasp on exactly how you're trying to, you know, guide the next point. Is that what you're trying to get at?
0: So my interest here is that there exists an intellectual community that I think people such as Seth could really learn from. And in the in the method that I have done this, I have tried to kind of prize these people out from their own particular, um, uh, I don't know what, what one would call it, psychological persuasions, let's just say, and bring them into an environment where at least their voice can be heard and they can talk about their specific projects. Through this period, which has been four and a half, five years of my life, I've discovered a lot of really amazing stuff that I never would have found out just through reading academic papers or... Uh, you know, even listening to recorded conversations of these people previously. I think we have a a community which is extremely intellectually powerful and my interest is how do we get all these participants lazing with people like Seth and uh, lazing is a physical metaphor, it's the idea that when in a laser the uh, photons become super excited and kind of send energy backwards and forwards, so that's the term lazing as I'm using it here but this idea that rather than interface with one specific project although i think there have been amazing successes that Seth has noted in this conversation with that specific project they're reaching out to other people in the community and optimizing the mode of communication uh, in a particular fashion to get these people participating what concerns me and i'll use the term concern here with regards to irc specifically is that it is a technology which is applicable to a group of university students and uh, another group of people which isn't applicable to a majority of the uh, employment type, let's just say, that this community, as I interact with people, has. Uh, I don't exist in a work environment through my, you know, through my 7.30 to 5.30, five-day-a-week job where I can participate in IRC. I can, you know, get a a thread through of email, which I can interact with. But what I try to do, because I can't do that, is maximize the communication through things like these podcasts. So what I'd like to see is some way that this community, which seems to be evolving and moving in a variety of different directions, can also reach back to... Folks such as Larry Yeager, Jeffrey Ventrella, people that are sympathetic, firstly, to this group, but also just as a means of maybe having maybe having tutorials or discussions that are, are um, inclusive of a variety of these participants. What has happened with these podcasts? Let me give a, a, a clear example is that uh, various universities have used these podcasts as means of tutorial discussion. So they will play a particular podcast um, uh, discussion on anything that we've had in, in the Bio to Live series, for example. And then they will have a discussion on that, and then it will filter either into the Bio to Conversations mailing list or it will become part of a broader group discussion. And I think what's interesting through these kind of interactions is that you get... A wide variety of new ideas, but also clarification and feedback. And particularly as critiquing comes from a legacy of these polyworld ideas, and fundamentally my own development as well, Noble Ape is part of artificial intelligence in a simulated environment. And I have taken some polyworld code and ported a sea monkey into my Noble Ape environment. So I have played with um, polyworld code specifically. Is that it requires a kind of expanded sense of the world? Um, in terms of just the his kind of intellectual legacy that has gone on here. And my interest really is taking this, this what I think is a historical paradigm, but is being used in a new way with regards to critiquing, and also allowing a wide variety of the other ideas through the artificial life community into this medium.
1: All of these uh, communication methods are going to be important. And what you're saying about not being able...
0: All day. In, um, well, my interest also is that at some stage, at some stage, the participants in this environment either will be in a position where this is no longer applicable to them or, I mean, let's go back to the podcasting metaphor versus traditional academia. Uh, Tom Ray, for example, who appeared four months ago, I guess, in BioLive, very much a traditional academic. It took me a couple of years to get him in the podcast, similarly Steve Grant. But the insight that Tom Ray gave and also the ability to see that he's doing things very similar now to actually what Larry Yeager did and what Crittiting is doing as well, required a movement, a kind of two-way movement, basically, my concern with regards to critiquing the, the the children of critiquing is that there is existing open source stuff out there that could be part of this as well, and there are also a series of uh, developers and thinkers who would like to you know participate in this too. But the main the way in which the participation occurs needs to kind of reach both ways.
1: communication can become distracting or. Um, Silent, and so it's that's when it's useless. But I think um, all of these modes can be transformed into each other, so that um, of IRC type or instant message um, chat messages can be bundled together, kind of um, clustering or bundling of messages, coding into different this podcast be text transcript from IRC specific short time done based on, based on um, democratic peer review putting pigments of
0: if I can if I can give you both a final question uh, for, for this okay. for this podcast what more what would, would you would like to like see to from the, the artificial, artificial life community to assist, assist with your, your development, development with, with Critical?
2: Aside from active participation um, with the with like-minded developers such as Seth, I really couldn't speak too much about that. What do you think, Seth? Well,
1: um, we need help with uh, basically all aspects of software development. Anybody that uh, is interested, um, I'm more than glad to help them get started with the code. Get it running, because right now it's not in a very um, packageable state. Although um, C- Critterding is uh much more evolved in that regard. Um, so uh, anybody interested, start with Critterding. That one will give you the least
2: trouble, and uh, it will. That that's where to look. If, if I could interject before we uh, before we end the conversation, um, I got the feeling. That uh, you had the impression, which I get uh, quite often with uh, software developers and their you know own personal day-to-day life, being so involved with a computer screen and, for instance, um, you know, internet relay chats with other developers, that even has struck me in the past to the point where I came up with a concept of a cognitive behavioral support engine that would. Uh, help guide the day-to-day life of you know, any human, you know, theoretically, but in the original concept was to help people you know, who may or may not have the kind of you know, social skills that would you know, provide them the comfort level to go out into society in the face-to-face, day-to-day life. Can I, can I talk to that, please, just as we kind of conclude the call?
0: To be clear here, I think there, there are a wide variety of kind of eccentric folks, as I'm hearing my voice come back to me. The issue is not with regards to interpersonal relationships, the issue is with regards to actual survival. And what we have seen, at least in the past three years, is a complete decimation of the artificial life community in terms of people losing jobs and, you know, basically driving off the face of the earth. There are real-world considerations associated with people making livings and surviving. And what I've seen within the past decade is an extensive degradation of the quality of life that software professionals have had. This has had a wide variety of causes. Open source has been part of that, this kind of general narrative associated with what um, the software development process is worth, outsourcing, a wide variety of factors. What I'm describing here is that we have a relatively maturing intellectual community that are no longer in a position where they can uh, be in these kind of environments for long periods of time because they actually have to make money in order to survive. They have to work in various environments which will not afford them the kind of quality that they would normally want to have. This isn't to do with their own social uh, persuasions. This is just the nature of the world. There is a reality out They're associated with survival, which means that unfortunately, you know, the participants in this conversation from when I started four or five years ago very few of them exist in environments that are of their creating or really a situation that they would want to, you know, promote necessarily. They, are probably, they come as independent entities from whatever their day to day life might be. However, they have a day-to-day life that they need to participate in in order to survive and certainly I wouldn't judge or predetermine any folk who have to you know work in any kind of environment that wouldn't allow them to access IRC chat for the kind of time frames that are uh, you know being discussed here I think there needs to be a meeting of these two things an understanding closely of what the kind of mature history of the artificial life community has been what the individuals who have participated in this and where they are currently all these things need to come together, but what seems to be being described here is, in some sense, a very um, interesting historical legacy from the likes of William Gibson and the late 80s kind of software development models, ideas uh, that come from science fiction, as Seth has mentioned, and what I would invite you both to do is to participate in a future bias live Ideally, not with an echo echo on my end. end.
2: Um,
0: And I look forward to uh, the chance to talking to 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 you both soon. soon. Uh,
2: Agreed. I uh, appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you very much, Tom.